Uh, we, on the 17th, next Sunday, we begin a fast. Uh, it's something we've done for the last many years. I don't know how many years we've done it here at New Life that we start at some point in January, we start with a two week fast, church-wide fast, it's voluntary, you're not required to do it, but uh, we, we uh, get into a fast as a church, give up something, whether it's food or some kind of activity that matters to you, something of your everyday life uh, for two weeks. And during that time, I'm going to be explaining all of this in the message today uh, on fasting. Uh, we seek God's plan and God's purpose for us throughout the year. Uh, that is the message I'll be preaching this morning. And uh, before that, uh, as I got up this morning, <clears throat> the, uh, the Holy Spirit really uh, kind of started working on me a little bit. <clears throat> Yesterday, I... Uh, if you are a Facebook friend of mine and you've seen my Facebook feed, you'll know that um, yesterday, and I think the day before, uh, I've been trying to, trying to be a little bit of a voice of reason through the times. I mean, it, it, you'd have to be living, truly, you'd have to be living uh, somewhere where you have absolutely no communication with humanity uh, to not know what our country has been going through this week. And I am of the mind... Uh, that we are on the very brink of a civil war. That is my personal opinion. You're allowed to have yours. Um, I believe that's exactly where we are. What has been disturbing to me is the response of many Christians from both sides. We are a New Life Church. For those of you who don't know, we're located in Western Massachusetts. And, Western, and, and our church, Massachusetts is a very liberal, left-leaning state. That's, uh, we, that's who we are. Uh, that's what our, our, our state is. Our church, uh, for those of you who don't know, we don't make a lot, we don't talk a lot about politics in our church uh, intentionally. It's not my job to talk politics. It's not my job to take political stands as a pastor. It's not our church, church's responsibility or job to be political activists. But our church, I know, our church is pretty much divided right down the middle. Uh, we have those who lean to the left and those who lean to the right. There are a few of us that are in the middle. But that's who our church is, and we make it work here. We, uh, we're civil to each other, and we get along. Uh, basically because, for the most part, we don't talk about politics. We, uh, our purpose here is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what has disturbed me this week, actually from last summer, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to just point out this past week, uh, has been the response of Christians in the church to the events that have been taking place and the justification that Christians have been giving to the acts of violence and anger and uprising that have been going on. And, and I've been... A, I, listen, when I use these words, I'm not... Please don't understand. My feelings aren't hurt. I don't feel threatened. Uh, I'm a big boy. <laughs> uh, but I've been attacked this week quite a bit verbally by people, both on Facebook and privately, by pastors, uh, by church members who don't like what I've been saying. And all I've been saying is, please kind of tone the, the rhetoric down. You're welcome to go to my Facebook page and read the things I've written. <sighs> because I believe that when you've got somebody in a heightened sense of anger and, and hostility, 
If you continue to poke them and push them, you're going to push them over the edge and you're going to get a result and a response that you weren't counting on. We are at a place where it's no longer about shouting at each other in this country. It's, it's very, let me just be very blunt. It's going to very quickly escalate to where we're going to be killing each other. And that's a dangerous place to be. Now, I can't, I can't speak to the regular citizenry. That's people have their own feelings and you have your, your views and, and where you can stand. But my question is, the one I want to answer very quickly here before we get into the, the next message, uh, the message for this morning, is what should the Christian response be? How should we be responding in this matter? Luke chapter 6, I'm going to share scripture with you. I haven't seen it. You, listen, if you can justify all of this with scripture, please send it to me. But I'm going to share with you very quickly some verses that tell us as Christians, very bluntly, how we should be responding. I, uh, I wrote to one individual that um, I wrote, what would Jesus do and what did Jesus do? How did Jesus respond to this? And a qualified response came back like, well, Jesus would. No, we have Jesus' words on these matters, and they're unequivocal. Luke chapter 6, beginning of verse 27. Jesus is speaking, he says, but I say to you, love your enemies do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24, uh, verse 17. Don't <laughs> now that's that right there, by the way, is for everybody. But for right now, um, the, one, the, the Luke passage is for all of us, okay? And we need, to, we need to understand that that's the way Jesus expects us to respond to our enemies. What I'm going to read to you in Proverbs right now, I'm just going to speak specifically. I, I, I put something on, on Facebook, and I got blasted for it, uh, both privately and publicly, about um, if your enemy wants to wage war, take away their reason to fight it, to, 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 war, to fight the war. Um, Proverbs chapter 24. This is for those of you on the left specifically. Listen, I told you, I'm not going to make a lot of friends this morning. In fact, computers may click off around that, that are watching me right now. But let me speak specifically to those of you on the left right now. Proverbs 24 verse 17 says, Don't gloat when your enemy falls, and don't let your heart rejoice when he stumbles. Or the Lord will see, be displeased, and turn his wrath away from him. If you truly believe that your cause is just, then leave it to God to handle it. Because by continuing to poke the bear, you're going to continue. First of all, you're, you're being unscriptural and unchristian-like. And secondly, you're causing more trouble than has already been caused. And then Romans chapter 12 Romans chapter 12, uh, beginning of verse 18, says, if possible, this is Paul speaking to us as believers, as Christians. Here's the, pro here's the problem. What we're doing as Christians, as the church, is we're separating our faith from our citizenship. I've preached against that for years here. 
Your faith should weave into your life, even your life as an American citizen. If you can't, if you can't see the important need of that, especially right now, then you need to check out where you are with Christ. Romans chapter 12, beginning of verse 8. And, and, and by the way, let me say this. It doesn't say we, you shouldn't be angry. It doesn't say you shouldn't allow, uh, that, that you shouldn't, um, it doesn't say that you, you won't get angry. What the Bible says is your response to this should be this. That's what I'm talking about. We're not meek lips. Listen, I've never been accused of being a wimp. I've never been accused of being overly meek. In fact, I've, throughout my life, I've been stabbed. I've been chased with an ax. I've been threatened. I've been uh, held at bow and arrow point, uh, all for standing up for people who were being beaten, men who were beating their wives. I, I would step in. I've stepped in before. And uh, that's, that's just who I am. I stand up for the weak and the, the, the little person. I still do that today. But I don't pick a fight and I don't goad people into a fight. And that's where I think the line should be drawn. Romans chapter 12, beginning of verse 18 says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. That's very clear. That's very, very clear. This morning, I, I'm wearing a, a hoodie. I actually put the picture of this on Facebook uh, last night. I just got it in the mail yesterday. And it's got a logo on it. And if you may not understand what the logo says, but it's an N, an O, a T, and a W. And that's, it's the logo of a, a company that, uh, and it stands for Not of This World. It's something I love. It's a, a slogan and a phrase I love. Because it speaks to where our true citizenship and our true heart, where our true heart should lie as followers of Jesus. We are not of this world. And we say that and we sing about it and we worship. We just, we just had some worship songs uh, pre-recorded, <laughs> sung, talking just about those things and worshiping and celebrating the fact that we are children of God. We are citizens of heaven but when it comes to our politics, and especially our standing as an American, for some reason we think that being an American goes above being, our, being a Christian. And being an American is more important than being a Christian. And being a good citizen of America is better than being a good citizen of heaven. We've got it wrong, plainly and bluntly. If that's what you think, you're wrong. I'll say it again, America isn't going to heaven. Americans are. God didn't tell us to save America. He told us to reach out and try to win people to him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, I want to read a couple passages, and this is the last one before we get into our message. Hebrews eleven six. Now, faith, now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek to seek Him. Jump down to verse thirty two. 
And it says, um, I'm sorry, verse, six, verse 16 is what I meant to read. Verse 16 says, but they, now, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. A better country, a, a heavenly country is heaven. And then just, just look, to, just, just read to what many of our forefathers and foremothers in the faith endured because of their faith. Down to verse, uh, ver verse uh, 32. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better re resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed to, in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And jump down to chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, I'm not saying you, you shouldn't be angry, and I'm not saying your heart shouldn't break for, your, for this country. I served this country in the army. I grew up on military, on naval bases as my dad, my, my, my brother and my two sisters and my mom, we gave up our father for much of our young, for much of our youth as my dad fought in both Korea and, and uh, Vietnam in the Navy. He was gone even on, on, on cruises. So my family has sacrificed much for this country. I love America, but I love Jesus more. And I cannot justify scripturally saying that I must, I must resort to violence and hatred and anger to get my point across and to stand up for my country. I challenge you this morning to take a step back, to get into your Bible and to pray and to ask God to give you leadership and wisdom and courage. Sometimes courage it takes more courage to not stand up and fight than it does to stand up and fight. So I'm, my challenge to you is to truly seek God about how you respond and react to this. I'm not happy about what's going on. It breaks my heart. But I don't want to give the church and give my faith a black eye and give people a reason to say negative, horrible things about me and my faith and my, and my savior simply because of politics. And that's in the words of Forrest, Cum, Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. Next Sunday, we, uh, Pastor Osvaldo is gonna be preaching. The following Sunday, Pastor Zach is gonna be preaching. And next Sunday, we're gonna kick off a fast uh, so this morning, I wanted to bring a message so that you have a week to prepare 
uh, to prepare yourself spiritually, uh, scripturally, physically for uh, the beginning of our fast, which will be two weeks long. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, Jesus is speaking to his followers and he says, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious, uh, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, we'll be beginning the fast next Sunday and it will go from January 17th to January 31st. It's not mandatory, as I said earlier, it's not a mandatory thing. There's no pressure. And it's not a time to earn bonus points with the leadership of the church, okay? These two weeks will be a time for us as individuals and as a church to set aside time and make a sacrifice with the sole purpose of drawing closer to God in our walk and to consecrate or, or set aside ourselves or, or um, prepare ourselves for this upcoming year. This is a year of ministry um, like I said last week, everything is new. Everything is different. Everything has changed. And we need to be ready. I think if, if we learned anything from last year, in the coming days, we need to be prepared to change on the fly. We need to be prepared to be agile and, uh, and uh, mobile as a church because we don't know what's up ahead. I believe we're in the last days. I believe the, what's gone on this past week what's been going on since last summer uh, with the rioting and the violence and the, the, all the ugly. There, there's never a place for that, for a Christian, for anybody, for a, a citizen, a, a, a citizen of a civilized country. That's, that's just wrong. But for a Christian especially, we're not called to be like that. But we've seen that, I believe that we're living in those last days and it's obvious to me now, after having seen 10 months of what, we're going, of what we've been going through, that we need to be ready to change almost weekly to meet the challenge of today. So these two weeks are going to be an opportunity for us to set aside time and to mentally and more importantly, spiritually prepare ourselves for this upcoming year. Today's message will be an explanation of what a biblically purposed fast is. Now, you can have a medical fast. People go on uh, fasts, uh, you know, to lose weight and things like that. And, and uh, quite honestly, I'll tell you what my, I'm, I'm doing a, like a, a liquid fast or a vegan fast or something like that because my big problem, my biggest problem in my life, and I'm going to be very transparent, I always am, and I think that's the only way to be. The biggest problem I have in my life is my weight. And it's a, it's a huge struggle for me, not just because I'm overweight, but because of the mental, uh, the mental stress and the battles I face in my mind. And those of you who struggle with weight or you struggle with anything, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and in order for me to, uh, to kind of get a handle on life and my, and my walk with the Lord, I need to have a handle on these kind of things and I need to have the Holy Spirit I have a handle on. So that's one of the things I'm going to be fasting for and praying for is um, getting that kind of uh, strength within me to, uh, to deal with that and with other things as well. 
But a fa- the fast we're talking about is a biblically purposed fast. And that's exactly what I'm challenging you to do. And, and this morning I'm going to be show- sharing with you, and we're going to be quick, don't worry, <laughs> how you can do it, what you should be doing to try to seek and find during it, and what you can learn because of it. What should, you know, we, we can go through the, the elements of the fast, and we can go through the two weeks of the fast and get on the other side and say, I did a fast, but what really did you gain from it? What did you go into seeking, and how are you better? Why, how would you define being better because of it? And that's, I believe, what we really need to seek. How, do I, how would I define if at the end of two weeks, I needed to write an essay on how I became a better follower of Christ or a more focused and centered follower of Christ because of these last two weeks of fasting, what would I need to be able to write? And that's kind of what we're going to be covering this morning. I believe God has a specific message for each one of us to find out during this time. If we truly seek God in his way during this fast. So let's, let's jump into it. Let's learn some things about fasting as a Christian. First of all, what exactly is biblical fasting? When we talk about biblical fasting, what is it that we're talking about? <clears throat> fasting is a deliberate abstinence from physical gratification, usually going without food for a period of time to achieve a greater spiritual goal. Fasting is intentionally denying the flesh in order to gain a response from the Holy Spirit, intentionally making a denial of the flesh, of, the, of your, your human desires to gain a response from the Holy Spirit. Fasting is an act of true trust and dependence on God. What we're saying is that we are giving up something that holds a place of importance, something that matters deeply to us. And we're trusting God to fill that space and get us beyond the struggle of the sacrifice with a peace and contentment that goes beyond the pleasure and fulfillment of the sacrifice. One of the things you're, one of the things you're doing during this fast is proving God that he is true. He said he will be your sustainer. He will be your provider. He will get you through the difficulties. I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. Uh, I'm trying to uh, make a point here. The 23rd Psalm says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Now, a fast may not be the valley of the shadow of death, but a, va- but a, a fast is a challenge. And it's a difficult challenge for many people. Some of you are talking about giving up things um, that really, truly matter to you. And to get through that with a spiritual purpose and come to the end of it with a spiritual victory, you're going to need God's help. And that's what a scriptural fast is all about. Now, unless we approach, approach our walk with Jesus, our service in the church, and our relationships with others with, his, with a sense of integrity and character... None of this will matter. So as we go into this fast, we need to be people of character and integrity. We need to make sure that our hearts are pure before God. Our motives are pure for this fast. We're not just doing it to be seen by others. In fact, we we read the verse that Jesus said, when you fast, don't, don't make it known to other people. Don't go out and make a big deal of it. You know, uh, you go to a restaurant, you order something, you don't have to tell the waitress, oh, well, I'm fasting, so I can't eat this. 
Jesus said, listen, don't make it obvious. If people find out, they find out. If you, if you can share it with people, what you're doing and why, that's, one, that's no problem. He says, but you don't make it obvious. You don't, and what he means by that is don't make, it, don't make it so that you are gaining praise from others for fasting. It's why it's so important, I believe, that we set aside a time to fast, pray, and seek God's voice and leadership for our lives, family, and church, because we need to have that sense of purpose. Fasting is a physical representation of the desire for inward transformation. When we, when we baptize people, we say it's an outward expression of an inward, inward possession. You accept that Jesus Christ is your Savior. He now lives in your heart. And by getting baptized, you are showing the world that you are a Christian. You're saying to the world, I'm a believer and a follower of Jesus, and I intend to live that way. Fasting, by fasting, we are making a physical representation of the desire that we have for an inward transformation. Once again, with me, I know that my, my struggle with food is mental and spiritual. If Satan, now maybe you've never been, maybe you don't have this struggle. Maybe you can apply this to your own life. If I get this, this past week was an amazing, actually this past month, going through this whole COVID matter with our church and then dealing with the city and um, the, take my word for it. It's been a time of stress. Uh, Friday was an amazing day of just stress. Uh, I worked until I, I didn't get to start uh, finishing up my sermon. I usually work on my sermon throughout the week, uh, but I finish it up on either Friday or Saturday. And I didn't really get to finish up my sermon until Friday night. I finally finished at 1130, not because I put it off, but because up until about six or so all day long, I was dealing with matters of great, uh, of, of great importance that I didn't really want to have to deal with. Um, that brings amazing stress on me. And if you're like me, when stress comes on your life, a lot of other things go out the window. And for me, uh, I deal with stress uh, by eating. I'm a, I'm a stress eater. Usually, I can go to the gym. But because of COVID throughout this past year, I haven't been able to do that as much as I, I, I wanted to. And and because I had COVID uh, over the holidays, I wasn't able to get out and go to the gym. By the way, I don't have it right now. I'm, I'm done with it. I just have a, I always have a stuffy head and I'm just, today I have an extra stuffy head. So don't think that I'm here with COVID. Um, but I know that if I'm going to get a handle on the greatest battle of my life personally, I need God's help. So I have to approach it in a spiritual way. And there's other things that I deal with in life. And maybe there's other things that you deal with in life. And I know there are, there are things that we all deal with. And we need to be transparent about that with ourselves and with God. And fasting is a way for us to say to God, listen, I'm helpless here, God. You know it and I know it. So can we get together and you show me the way through it? Because I don't know how to get through this. I don't know how to deal with it. For 58 years, I've battled my weight. Um, I, need, I need help, okay? I need a refresher course on how I can uh, get this under control and deal with life outside so that it doesn't manifest itself by me 
doing something that is destructive to my, my physical body. Now, the big question we have, that is, that is what exactly is biblical fasting, but the big question that people have and that we really need to answer is, what do I do while I fast? The practical part of fasting, what do I do? You know, is it just giving up food and, and just going throughout my day? No, there's more to it. And in fact, um, it doesn't have to be food that you give up. We'll, co- we'll cover that here uh, in just a minute. There's more to a biblical fast than just giving something up. The first thing that you do while you fast is this. You make a real sacrifice. This is the basic act of the fast. You make a real sacrifice. Something that truly matters to you. Something that is part of your everyday life. Something that if you took it out of your life on a daily basis, you would know. You would notice it. Now, I'm not a smoker, so if I gave up cigarettes for two weeks, I wouldn't notice it because I don't smoke anyway. If I were to give up, I don't drink. I don't drink alcohol. If I were to give up alcohol for two weeks, it wouldn't be a sacrifice because I don't drink. But if I'm going to give up solid food or meat for two weeks, let me tell you, I'm going to notice that. (laughs) I'm going to notice that very quickly. And it's going to be something that reminds me every day of what I'm doing. I love, uh, I love eggs and sausage for breakfast. Well, if I, either, either, either way I go with the fast, that changes my breakfast menu. Now, the spirit, the scriptural basis for that we find in Daniel chapter one, uh, verse eight and verse 12. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the uh, chief eunuch not to defile himself. Please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Vegetables to eat and water to drink. That's it. That's what Daniel did. What Daniel, when we say a Daniel's fast, not a Daniel fast, when we say Daniel's fast, Daniel only ate vegetables and drank water for 10 days. I think most of us, one thing, my, uh, my sister Susan and my sister Donna are probably watching either this service or the next one. Um, if my sister Susan and my sister Donna were to give up coffee, if, you are, if you're on my sister Susan's Facebook feed, uh, every day, I think it is, every day she puts uh, posts up about coffee all the time. Susan is put because her and coffee have her and coffee have a very close relationship. I wouldn't be surprised if my brother-in-law Bob is a little bit jealous of coffee. I'm just kidding, just kidding. But if if they if they were to do a Daniel fast, the the if they were to do Daniel's fast, they would have to give up coffee. Um, I know many people. If you had to give up coffee. That would be an amazing sacrifice that you would notice. And you wouldn't just notice, but the people around you would know. <laughs> but that's, what, that's, that's the, what a sacrifice is. It must be something that you, tru- you truly feel as a loss. And what I always say every year is this. If it matters to you, it matters to God. I know uh, some of our younger people, 
gave up uh, in past times, have given up social media. Quite honestly, right now, <laughs> for the next two weeks, uh, starting on the 17th, uh, giving up social media might be a good idea <laughs> for people for a fast. But uh, people have given up all electronics. I remember one year, our assistant pastor, Zach, who loves music. He's a music freak. He gave up music for two weeks. I can't imagine that. Uh, and I, I thought that was one of the most unique fasts and one of the most courageous fasts because a guy like Zach uh, lo absolutely loves his music. But it must be something that truly matters to you and you'll feel as a loss. Practically, it can be food of some kind or category, activities or actions that are part of your everyday life and will be a true sacrifice to give up for 14 days. It should be something that you know you can... Now, now let me say this as well. It should be something that you know you can give up for this time with concerted effort. Okay, Not something you know, you know, if I'm going to give up candy bars for... I, I go months without eating a candy bar. Uh, it must be something that you know you can do with a concerted effort. People tell me one of the things that smokers do all the time during a fast is they say, I'm going to give up cigarettes for two weeks. Can I just be honest with you? And I know some of you might take offense. You might get upset with me for saying this. But I think that is one of the fo most foolish things you can do. Because the, the hold that cigarettes have on people... Um, the addiction to nicotine is one of the most powerful I've ever seen. And what happens is when you give up cigarettes, you focus on the sacrifice more than you do on the purpose. And that's not what you want. You want to focus on the purpose. You want to feel the sacrifice, but focus on the purpose, if that makes sense. You don't want the sacrifice to draw away from your purpose but you want to be able to feel that sacrifice. So make sure you, you sacrifice something that you know you can go two weeks without, but it's going to take effort to do that, okay? And then uh, what do we do may, after making the sacrifice? We read our Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating... As far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Every day you should be doing your regular Bible reading. Along with your regular Bible reading, I'm challenging each of you to read during this fast, to read the book of Romans. Okay, every year I challenge the church during the fast to read something together as a church. And this year, during our fast, I'm challenging you to read the book of Romans. Now the book of Romans is 16 chapters long. And there's only 14 days of the fast. So one day you're going to have to read two chapters. Or two days you're going to have to read two chapters. Hey, maybe you want to read Romans every day. Whatever it is you want to do, I'm challenging you, in, as well as your regular Bible reading, to read the book of Romans during this time. It's a, a fascinating book, a powerful book of doctrine and church polity and church practice. The third thing you do during the fast is pray. You pray more than you normally do. Matthew 6, 6, uh, how do you pray during a fast? Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You pray more than normal, and you pray more specifically. We, many people have prayer lists. Do you have a, a, a normal prayer time you go through? What I'm challenging you to do and what you should do during a fast 
is do that regular time, but then have a specific time every day where you pray for specific things. Pray for yourself specifically. I firmly believe one of the things we do, we don't do well as Christians is pray for ourselves. We pray for others, but we think it's selfish to pray for ourselves. I believe that you need to protect yourself first so that you can, you can help others out. So you need to pray, not just your regular prayer, but pray specifically, uh, set, aside, set aside a time every day to pray specifically for what you're fasting for. Pray, what, pray for the church, pray for the year, pray for, for certain things. And the fourth thing we need to do during our fast is worship. We always need to remember to worship. We always need to remember to worship. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 and 37 tell us about Anna. Uh, it says, there was a prophetess, Anna. She was well along in years. And this is, this is uh, I'm skipping through much of, much of this passage. You can read the whole passage yourself. Uh, she was well along in years and was a widow for 84 years. She had been widowed for 84 years, which means that Anna was pretty close to 100 at this time. And she was in the, she was in the temple every day. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. She worshiped. Every day she was in the temple worshiping and serving God, fasting and praying. Sing, praise, testify, share with others. Just find a way to worship during your day. <clears throat> Whether that means you take your, your, uh, your music source and a pair of headphones and you just listen to some worship music and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Whether you take a drive, I, I, I would caution you not to close your eyes and worship or, or raise your hands because you need to keep them on the wheel. Uh, or take a walk with listening to worship music or, or good Christian music or, or go into a room, do something, but find a time during the day to spend time in worship and thanking God for who he is to you and what he's done. Now, what do we fast for? What is it that we fast for? We'll go quickly through these. The first one is that we fast to repair our relationship with Jesus. Let's face it, most of our troubles come because of issues and people in life with which we struggle. Fasting over the situation is a way to call on God's power to deal with it. Most of our problems in the church and most of our problems in life are because of people, right? And, and then uh, that, that stems from a struggling relationship with Jesus Christ. So we fast to repair our relationship, to recenter and refocus us on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Isaiah 58, 6 says, isn't this the fast I choose to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to tear off every yoke? Man, what a powerful verse about what a fast is supposed to be. A fast is supposed to be a time where we are freed from the bondage we have in our spiritual lives. The things that hold us back, the things that weigh us down, the people, the attitudes, the situations that keep us from being the best Christian we can be. What does that involve? Well, first of all, for some of us, we don't like this word as Christians. We don't like this. But the first thing repairing our relationship with Jesus involves means this. There must be repentance. Repentance is the first step. Joel 2.12, even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. We must repair our relationship. The first step to do that is repentance. God, whatever it is in my life, some of you know specifically what it is. Some of you may not. But God, what is it in my life that I need to repair? 
What is it in my life that I need forgiveness for? God, I've done this. This is my attitude. These are my actions. Please forgive me and restore me. Second thing is deliverance. We don't want to stay in the same way that we've been. We don't want to stay in the same activities. We don't want to have the same attitude. We don't want to continue the same actions. So we want to change our, our ways and we want deliverance. Second Chronicles 20 verses 1 through 4. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, together with some of the Munites, come, uh, came to fight against Jehoshaphat. People came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast, number of, uh, a vast number from beyond the Dead Sea and from Edom have come to fight against you. They are already in Hazah and Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he resolved to seek the Lord. Then he proclaimed a fast for all Judah who gathered to seek the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek him. They were looking for deliverance from their enemies, deliverance in the fight. When you fast, you pray for, when you repair your relationship with Jesus, you repent and then you seek deliverance. And third, you seek victory. Deliverance is, deliverance is, the, is, is the next step, but victory is the final, final step in all of this. You can read Ezra chapter, tw- chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. What's the next thing we fast for? We fast for preparation of ministry. Not only, not only do we fast for repair, to repair our relationship with Jesus, we fast to prepare ourselves for ministry. And this is one of the things I'm challenging the church with for these two weeks. Chal- uh, pray and ask God to prepare you for the upcoming year, to prepare you for what he has for you to do. I firmly believe that the Bible teaches us that every individual in the church has a role to play and a responsibility to fulfill. Therefore, you must know from God what that is and how to do it. So we fast to prepare for ministry. Jesus himself is our example. He fasted for 40 days to prepare for his earthly ministry. We find this uh, in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by, in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, uh, you are my beloved son with whom... With you, I am well pleased. Immediately, the spirit drove him in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels were serving him. Jesus fasted for 40 days. After this, after his fast was over in the wilderness, after he endured the temptations of Satan, Jesus embarked on his earthly ministry. So Jesus fasted to prepare for ministry. We need to follow his example. And the third thing we, fi- we fast for is to define uh, or f- to find or define our individual purpose. Esther chapter 4 verses 13 through 16 is a powerful passage about being willing to do what God has called you to do, whatever it may be. Being willing to do whatever it is. Listen, you may know in your heart what God has called you to do, but you may not have the courage to do it. Esther chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, are a challenge to each and every one of us to do what God has called us to do, no matter what. In in that passage, we read, Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you were in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Who knows? 
Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if the law is against me. If I perish, I perish. What a powerful statement by Esther. Her uncle Mordecai challenged her. Listen, you're the queen and you're a Jew and they're about to exterminate the Jews. You have got to go speak for your people. You've got to stand up. This is what God, he said, he said this, this may very well be what God has called you to this kingdom for. This may very well be what God, your entire, perp, your entire role as the queen may be boiled down to this one moment in time. You were brought to the, the kingdom for such a time as this. Can I, make, can, I, can I combine the two messages of this morning, Christian? You are, you are alive in this time, and you are an American in this time, and you are a follower of Jesus in this time for a purpose, for such a time as this. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to join the angry mob and fight for your rights? Or are you going to, uh, are you going, and that angry mob is on both sides, folks, okay? Let's, uh, let's, be, let's, be, let's be honest, okay? That angry mob is on both sides. Not being honest about that is, is the most tragic thing, I think, that has come out of this. If that's how you respond, you're not responding like a Christian. You are here in this moment in time as a follower of Jesus for a very specific purpose. You need to find out what that is. And I believe with all my heart that a big part of that for each and every one of us as followers of Jesus is to share our faith with others, to give people hope. They don't have hope right now. If, you, if we can't see that people don't have hope right now, that they are hopeless it's being played out all around our country, then we're just not paying attention. Maybe your purpose is to be more, is to be more spiritually mature. Maybe it's to be more physically healthy. Maybe it's to gain control of your temper, to be a better parent or a better spouse. Whatever it is, you need to find it, and fasting will help you find your purpose. You have been brought to the kingdom of God for such a time as this. Now do something about it. And, and we fast for guidance and direction. As with prayer, fasting uh, to seek God's guidance isn't done to change God, but to make you more receptive to his guidance. We don't fast to change God. We fast to change us. We fast to change ourselves so that we are more open and receptive to God's direction. Paul and Barnabas fasted and prayed over the church leadership in Acts 14.23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What am I saying through all of this? Listen, you can, you can make a sacrifice. You can give something up. You can, you can get to the end of it with all the pomp and circumstance and pat yourself on the back. But unless you follow through these two weeks of fasting with passion and conviction, then you're simply doing it to do it.
if you simply do this fast to do it because you're expected to, then it's going to be a very little value to you. I'll just be real honest. If you're just going to jump on board and say, you know what, this is what our church is doing. I want to be a good church member. So for two weeks, I'm going to give up, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of it, I'll go back to life as normal. If that's going to be your attitude, you might as well not even get involved with it. Unless you follow through in this fast with passion and conviction that what you're doing matters, that not only what you're giving up to you matters to you and it matters to God, but the act of what you're going to be participating in for two weeks matters to your walk with the Lord, then it's going to be of no value. It has to matter to you. It has to mean something to you. You have to have conviction in the fact that this is going to be something that God uses in your life to draw you closer to him, to give you deliverance in your life, to give you focus and to center you. I believe it's vital to do everything that we have talked about this morning and to do it with a committed and sincere heart that is humble, passionate, and seeking God's voice for your life. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Are you going to do it with passion and conviction? Is it going to be something that truly matters to you in your life? Christian, I believe that starting next Sunday, we have an opportunity to get in touch with God at a very critical and important time in history and in our lives. We have a week to get ready for it. We have a week to seek God. We have a week to get an understanding of what he wants wants us to do. I challenge you to take advantage of that. And next Sunday, at the end of the second service, when I declare a fast, do it. Jump in with passion and conviction and see what God will do for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being uh, together virtually today. I thank you that you've provided us this way of connecting even though we're not physically together. God, I pray that we'll think about uh, what you've shared with us this morning. Uh, Lord, may may we strive above all, may we strive to honor you. May we strive to glorify you. May we strive to show people your love and your compassion and your grace. Lord, may we be willing to put ourselves aside and see you and allow people to see you. Bless us the rest of this day. Bless us throughout this time. Give us wisdom to know what it is you want us to give up and what you want us to seek. In your precious name we pray. Amen.